Begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, on this wonderful, cold Sunday morning. Uh, today, we want to talk about a couple concepts. Um, I want to talk about following, and we want to talk about trust that it takes to follow, okay? Um, um, I've got a question for you. Does anyone know where this is? Can you guess? Did someone say it? West Point, yeah. Yeah, this is, this is West Point. So um, this is uh, what most would say is the premier officer training school for the Army um, within our nation. So uh, West Point is uh, about 50 miles west of New York City. Um, and, and this is a place of, we would say this is a place where not only are men and women trained how to follow, but actually how to lead as well. So um, West Point, if any of you have ever visited it, um, it it's just a kind of a beautiful, beautiful uh, spectacle. Uh, it was a former fort now turned into a school. And so throughout uh, um, the grounds at West Point, there are vestiges, there are statues, there are reminders of of qualities, of characteristics, of past battles, of victories, and sometimes even defeats kind of all over their campus. And, and I think we can understand why those things are there. So if you are training men and women um, to not only follow into battle, but maybe at some point to lead others into battle as well, you want some of those things embodied on your campus, right? Um, on that campus, uh, there is one spot that is called Trophy Point. Um, and you can maybe guess why they call it Trophy Point. So at Trophy Point, it's a beautiful view of the, of the entire grounds and I think the river below it and those kind of things. Um, but they also have what we would call trophies of battle victories, right? Cannons, right? Um, um, just military machinery, all these kind of things that were the spoils of war, the spoils of of victory. So Trophy Point have, has visible objects of victory within battle. But Trophy Point has something else that's kind of fascinating. Uh, it has a series of 12 granite benches that are kind of scattered around that area. So benches that you can sit on, benches that you can, you can relax on, that you can think through the campus that you're on, uh, maybe even think through what it took and the sacrifice for a place like that to exist. But these 12 benches have 12 inscriptions on them. Um, and each of these inscriptions are meant to impress something, not only on, let's say, us as visitors, but most importantly, uh, the cadets that are enrolled at West Point. Uh, so there's a, bill, a man named Pat Williams who wrote a book called Character Carved in Stone. And specifically, he references all of these benches, literally granite benches carved in stone, and the 12 character traits that every cadet at West Point is expected to embody and to embrace and to try to foster within their life and within their career on behalf of us as a nation, okay? So this is the list. Take a look at it. Compassion, integrity, courage, loyalty, dedication, perseverance, determination, responsibility, Dignity, service, 
discipline, and the last one is trust. Out of those 12, which one do you think might be the hardest for you? And I know this is a little bit of a personal question, right? Um, Because all of our personalities are maybe built a little bit differently than others. And I would guess as you look at that list, you'd say, well, some of these things... Uh, um, maybe, maybe that's just how God m- kind of made me. Like these, some of these things come easier to us. Others, you think in your mind, like I have to literally every day, right, um, think o- about that and put that into practice. But out of these 12, which one do you think might possibly be the hardest? I think so. Now, I didn't try to um, um, preload the answer for you all here today when we talked about trust a little bit already. Um, but as I read through those 12, and you think, you read through those, you know, any man or woman would be like, if I could, if, if when I die, someone says, these are the things that characterized who I was, that's a pretty good list, isn't it? Right? But I'd say the last one is the most fascinating to me. And I think maybe even the hardest, isn't it? Because all the rest of those, on some level or another, I think, I think you can put in place. Like, you can foster. Like, um, and, and to some degree or another, these other ones are, are in your control, right? You can choose to do that or not. You can choose to, to embody those things or not. Um, you can choose to put them in place or not. But I think the reason the trust one maybe stands out is because that's not necessarily always in our control, is it? Because trust always has an object. And here's the not-so-secret thing about us. You want to know who we tend to trust the most? <laughs> right? And, and in some sense, expect others to trust us the most. Right? But that's the hard thing with trust. Trust always has an object outside of ourselves. And what that means is, on some level, we lose a little bit of control, don't we? And each of our personalities are slightly different than others. Um, Some of you maybe have spouses that have called you a control freak. Okay, I don't want to argue with that. Maybe you are, maybe you aren't. Yeah, some of you are grimacing. Um, um, But um, when we talk about trust, it means you're giving up some control. You are saying there are things that are beyond me, right? And you're putting yourself in the hands or um, into the lap of that object or that person in whom you trust. And so I think that that is why maybe it's one of the hardest ones, right? Um, Maybe one of the benches that is the hardest for us to sit on (laughs) because we are placing ourselves in the lives and in the hands of someone that we're not sure we can necessarily control or even maybe want to, okay? Trust is what we want to talk about today. I don't think I'm going out on a limb to say that our nation in this moment right here and now has trust issues, (laughs) okay? We do. I mean, every single poll that you will read says that we have significant trust issues in almost every institution and facet of life, okay? Trust issues within marriage, trust issues uh, within or for our governance and within politics, trust issues with 
churches, right, and religious institutions, and trust issues with media and even the information that is given to us. This one happens to be a poll on our trust in uh, mainline what we would call institutional media um, over the last few years, last 20 years. And you can see um, about 32% have trust in what you're listening to, what you are being, what the facts that you are being shared, whatever medium you digest it, right? On your phone, in a newspaper, television, whatever. Trust in things is at an all-time low. So I think it's appropriate for us to talk about that today. Because when Jesus calls his first disciples, he is asking them to trust him. Here's why I think it's also appropriate for us right now, especially going into this new year. Because Christ asks you the very same thing. And the truth is we live in this, right? Where we are distrustful of almost everything, right? Either you've already turned the channel off or the things you digest, you assume, always have an angle, always have a, a, um, um, a, something they're trying to sell you or have shaded the facts in a certain way, right? Um, if you feel that way, you're not alone. I mean, we, this is our collective consciousness within our culture right here and now. Um, but here's where sometimes I think it becomes an issue is when um, the way we view our world around us bleeds into the way we view our Lord and Savior even within the church or within our own hearts. So today, we're going to pull that apart. Say, uh, um, what does it mean to follow Jesus? To place our trust in Him? What answers does He give us? What reasons does He give us for us to trust Him? And, and most importantly, where does it lead? Right? If we are to follow, what's the destination? And so that's what we want to look at today in our text, in our gospel reading. So um, as always, I've got kind of a few points for you today. Um, We're going to have kind of three separate sections. We'll kind of fill those in as we go along. Um, But our main theme is just going to simply be, I will follow. So uh, you're welcome to follow along in your bulletin or on the screen if you would like. Um, I'm just going to read for you verses 35 through 39 to kind of get us started here. It says, The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. Okay. So we kind of get thrown into our text. As I mentioned earlier, we've celebrated Christmas, the Magi coming from the east. Now we're at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And you heard kind of at the very beginning, uh, this is John the Baptist that we're talking about here. So John the Baptist, we would call the forerunner of Christ. So John's entire ministry was to say, you ought to get ready, you ought to prepare your hearts because the Messiah is here, his ministry is about to start. And in fact, I'm going to, to decrease even to the point where I will lose my life so that Christ can increase. So right now, you are seeing kind of that transition from John the Baptist's disciples to Jesus and his public ministry. Um, And so we see John kind of make this, in a sense, a beautiful handoff. (laughs) He's with his disciples who knew him and trusted him. And as Jesus walks by, he says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, right? So John actually points the people that trusted him to Christ. And we're going to see some impact of that a little bit later. But that's what John's ministry was about. 
It was to point others to the Messiah, right? He does that. These disciples follow Jesus, and I don't, I don't think this is necessarily in the text, but it kind of feels that way, like Jesus is walking, and there's just two guys like kind of like creepily like tagging along behind him, like peeking at him, like, hey, he's going around the court. Like, seemingly, they were just following Jesus to the point where Jesus is like, okay, enough. Like, let's, we're going to talk. Let's talk. You're obviously interested in who I am. And so he turns to them and he says, what do you want? Now, at least in this, I think, initial introduction, it seems maybe a little bit innocuous. We could say, well, He's just saying, what do you want, as in, why are you following me? Or what do you want, as in, what kind of interest do you have in me as a teacher and in my ministry? Um, But I think there's far deeper implications going on here that Jesus wanted to reveal in the hearts of his disciples and in us here today. He asks them, what do you want? And I think it's a good question for us as well, isn't it? When, When we look to our lives, when we look to Christ... I think we can ask the question, what do we want? What are you looking for? And what's going to be even more important, who are you following, right? Jesus was urging these disciples to be a little introspective, right? 